a great debate in our household and I need to have it be answered by people, by the public. Okay. What is it? When you are doing laundry, do you un, what's that called? Un, um, I don't know. When you take off your pants and they're inside out, do you un inside out them? All your socks, all your clothes, all those things. Cause I do, but Mr. Doug Brown does not. And the other day when I was standing there for like an extra 45 minutes, it felt like un, undoing all the clothes. I was like, is this even worth this? Should I just do the Doug Brown approach where it's just a ball of socks? My theory is that it doesn't matter at all. You would, why? It's all just going to get washed. If you washed a pair of pants and they were inside not out. inside out. That's what it is. If they were not inside out. Do you, do you think the inside would get cleaned? I... I just feel like, especially with socks, like you put it, you, you, they're inside out and the dirt is now on the inside. So then you undo the sock. No I just say, and so the I just dirt say can be throw washed. it all in. Just throw it in. But the, also that method, just you let it go with just be free with that method though. You, you ha- run the risks of underwear being bald, socks being bald and shirts being I bald. actually purposely ball my socks up before like a giant and I wrap them in rubber bands. This is hilarious I because in. I feel like if someone lived with us, they would think <laughs> that you're me and I'm you. Like this yeah, is let's the do one a little, thing. Let's do a little, a little poll on the old podcast here. Yeah. I don't know how we do that. You just yell it out in your car <laughs> and just scream out the answer. Do you turn your clothes inside out? Cause they already are outside out when you take them off. Mm-hmm. Cause no one's that genius. I mean, maybe they are. That in the moment, can you imagine? In the moment, like as you're taking them off, like as you're taking them off, you turn them inside, right back the right way, and then do you put think them in the anyone takes their socks off not by like peeling them down, or they just like they they take them off from the toe? Do I'm you think that's so ready to be done with my day. I get out of my clothes and in my PJs as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> I you just it, cut them off with like those oh. medical scissors. It looks like I was like, like taken to space. Like it was just like how the clothes were just left abducted, abducted. It looks like I was abducted by an alien. No, that's not the poll I'm talking about. Uh, The poll that I want to know is let's do a poll. Do you think that Jesse is is the clean one? Oh, (laughs) or do you think that I am the clean one? Cause normally in every relationship, there's a dirty one and a clean one. I don't mean like, you know, really dirty, but like, you know, a little more messy. Messy. Do you think Jesse's the messy one or do you think I'm the messy one? I feel like this is obvious. Is it obvious? Yes. It's obvious to me. It might not be obvious to our listeners. Just by listening to our voices, they could tell who's the messy <laughs> one and who's the more clean one. No. What would you say, Jesse? Who's the messy one? Me. Of course. <laughs> I of hope course. that you got that right, everyone. I hope that you know us. I would say I am not dirty. I am messy. No, you're not. No, neither of us are dirty. And I, I don't mind if the dishes are in the sink for the night. I don't mind if my clothes that look like I have been ducted by an alien are still there in the morning. I just, it just doesn't bother me and I'll put it away eventually. Okay. Here. Okay. Here's some, here is some, we're, we're married. So here's some marriage advice that I've learned. We've been married for a long time. Did you know that? Did you know how long we've been married for a long time? Are you asking me? How long have we been married? This is actually, this is a great question. Uh, How long have we been married, Jesse? I just asked my best friend the other day because I'm so bad at dates. 16 years. 16 years. Wow. Going on 17 this year. Best seven years of my life. Doug. (laughs) That's a great joke. (laughs) Um, Uh, What, the first seven or the last seven? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It took me a long time to realize that I would clean everything to perfection. And it's not like you wouldn't care. It's that you would not see it. Yes. Physically almost wouldn't even realize that the, our place had been cleaned. You know what I mean? Yes. I think you were waiting for me to walk in, especially on those long hairdresser days when I was a hairdresser and I worked yeah. like 11 hours and I would come home and just fall on the couch and you, I feel like you were just waiting. Like I was expecting Hello? you to sprint in with a white glove, <laughs> baseball slide, and then feel the underside of the coffee table and be like, you did it. You finally did it. Oh, Thank you. And like, give unders- me a big kiss. The underside of the coffee table. That is the most <laughs> Doug Brown line I've ever heard in my life. But you would walk in and be like, oh, what a day and just crash. Yes. And I'd be like, do you not? And I was offended. I personally was offended. Yeah. And probably it, two hours later, I would be like, 
did you clean the house? I wouldn't even probably give you a compliment. I probably just asked like, who did this? I remember when I was gone. I remember a lot of times going, I'd be like, what do you think? Like, what do you think of the house? And you'd be like, oh my gosh, it looks great. And I'd be like, I don't care that you said I know I'm pissed, <laughs> but it, now uh, I, re- now I realize it's not that you don't care. It's that you just, it, it's not a priority to you. You don't see it. So I've gotten a lot better. So I've basically, my- and what I'm saying is I've just died inside <laughs> to that. Uh, that part of me has died and Goodbye, I clean Doug it. Brown. And then after it's clean, I say, way to go, Doug, way to go. <laughs> you give Pat myself on the back and just give yourself on. a high five. Like the <laughs> Tina Fey gift right to myself. Uh, I'm better now. And you also, I wouldn't say you have been known to leave shoes out, coffee cups no, out, what? water bottles out. So you like, no, do you, you know just I, love to deep clean. That's your thing. What, I don't even know what we're talking about on this. What are we talking about on this podcast? It doesn't Maybe this matter. This is just therapy for ourselves. It doesn't matter. Do you know what I do that drives would drive people insane? Let, can I go first? <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie signs? Do you know the little girl who leaves water glasses yes. everywhere? Yes. I am a grown up version of that little girl. Yes, you are. I Coffee. Leave, I leave water glasses and glasses everywhere. You clean up the floor. So if I've left my clothes, that look like I've been abducted <laughs> by an alien. You take them and put them in the dirty clothes, but you will live in a room with a hundred glass cups I and I clean those up. See, maybe I'm waiting for aliens. That's the thing. Also, Doug, two things that you do is you leave wet towels on the bed. I do that. And I you leave that. empty boxes in the fridge. I do that. Yep. I mean, you could go me next, but I do that. I do that. I will I will even I will empty a like a carton of milk and just put it back. I don't know. <laughs> You also like drink a soda or drink like a water or whatever. And you, it's empty and you put it by the trash can. Like our cutting board is right there. Like by the, we all have our things. We all have our things. But I also don't undo my socks. I don't think that matters. The human is really complicated. The human is just Mm -hmm. things that you care about uh, that, that you don't care about other things is just fascinating. So welcome to the infertility feelings podcast where yes. we're, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about infertility and feelings on this podcast. We today. are, we are, we're going to talk about a lot. So for this, this will be an episode that I will guarantee be crying a thousand percent. You guarantee be prepared. Wow, really? I guarantee it. I guarantee when it. you're crying, do you want me to bring this up and say, Hey, I knew you were going to, you knew you were going to do this. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> no, I just know that there will be tears. Cause even thinking and doing the prep for this podcast, um, I already was getting like emotional. I could like mm. feel it. So do you know that warning, this everyone? podcast will be airing? If you're listening to this, the week that it comes out, it will be national infertility awareness week in the United States. It will be in the United States, which is another poll that we should do. Does that, does national infertility awareness week stress you out? Does it overwhelm you? Yeah. I've noticed that sometimes infertility can be a sensitive topic. Yeah. That's why that's maybe sometimes why we don't spam people on our Instagram is yeah. I think sometimes you need a couple of days off of yeah. thinking about yeah. infertility, yeah. but does I, it, when, when everyone on earth that you know, that you follow about infertility, well, I don't when know about that when everyone on earth, but I'm saying when they're all posting and, and like everyone's kind of like advocating for it, right? does it, does it overwhelm you? Do you kind of go, Oh, okay. I've heard enough of it. I never thought it did like three years ago, three years ago when we first started uniquely knitted, mm-hmm. I thought, Oh my gosh, this is so great. And now doing it for years, I'm like, Oh, this is something yeah. that overwhelms people. A lot of people like it. A lot of people love to be advocates. Oh yeah. Advocating is, is so is amazing, necessary. And, right. it, and, and the actual week is great, but I'm just saying, but I would not say it's for everyone. I'm saying if you're in the middle of struggling, it yeah. can be a little overwhelming. I think. Yeah. I think it's like a reminder. It's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's just in your face all the time. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I use Instagram to not think about my life. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? You're and like wanting to watch someone eat Cheez-Its with their feet. Yes. Right. No, but that's what okay. I, that's most of what my Instagram is filled with. What have I done wrong? It's mostly people eating Cheez-Its with their feet. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from here. I don't even know what I say. What I did I, now. what did I Google search to find that? <laughs> Why has this come to me? Uh, mine's a little different, but to use Instagram as a tool to, at the end of the day, whatever zone out, not think about and kind of like be entertained, like yeah. be entertained. And so I could see how 
maybe if you just follow us or, or just someone that doesn't talk about it all the time. Or if you follow we, a bunch of infertility accounts. Sorry, yeah. It's like maybe you like, they post stuff or whatever, but on Infertility Awareness Week, it's like everyone, everyone. is doing it. And I just would want to give permission that's okay if it's like you want to take the week off or yeah. you don't feel like being an advocate or you yeah. don't feel like posting. Like that's okay. It is a very tender, sensitive thing and it changes all the time. Yeah. So I've noticed that- um, in the infertility community, a lot of times people are like, I'm an infertility warrior. I'm a, yeah. I'm a IVF warrior, whatever it is. Or like, I'm a, I'm this conqueror or I just, I'm kicking infertilities, but whatever it is, but I don't think everyone feels like that. So yeah. I think a lot of people feel really depressed that yeah. they're going through infertility and sad about it. They don't feel like a warrior. They don't feel like they're they don't even feel like they're advocating or don't like, you know, kicking infertilities, but they are getting their, their ass butt kicked. Yeah. They're getting their ass kicked right. and they feel beat up by it. So it's really, they're almost in survival mode and yeah. they're not in a place to feel like they're ready to advocate for it. Right. If you are feeling like you're up to advocating, I mean, bring it on down to Omleville. We got lots that we're posting next week. Bring it on down to Omleville. <laughs> Do you remember that Justin Timberlake from Saturday Night Live? Please tell me someone <laughs> on this earth knows what that is. He, He's dressed up as an omelet. <laughs> and that's what I mean, he says. I mean, I do, but, but just to use, bring it on down to omeletville in like common language. Isn't that what you would expect from me? That's ex I feel like I only should talk in Saturday Night Live quotes. Welcome back to the Infertility Feelings Podcast, your place to process, cry, and laugh about infertility. We are so happy to have you here, and we really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Jesse, let's talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to infertility. Do you know what I'm talking about? There is a lot of them, but this is definitely a main event, I would say, of would you everyone's say journey. A main elephant? Um, <laughs> like the biggest elephant. I've, I've just never heard that, and that is just really funny <laughs> to me. The like biggest there, elephant. Like if there was a circus, and you know how there's elephants, used to be elephants in the circus. This is the. This is there's the, no elephants in the circus anymore? No, I don't think so. What? I don't even know if they do circuses anymore. What? Yeah. There has to be circus. I think there's like Cirque de Soleil, but there's no circus. There's gotta be circusing still. <laughs> People that circus. I don't think there's elephants. I think what? they were, they were probably, I mean, you've seen Dumbo. They were pr probably pretty cruel to the elephants. Well, I, I, I'm not saying that there should be. I'm just more shocked that they aren't. <laughs> well, somebody could fact check us. Yeah, please. But if we're talking about infertility issues, this one is a big elephant. And it's the idea that we are all afraid that this whole process will end without us having any bio children. We're all afraid of becoming Doug and Jesse. That's let's just say it. Basically, you're afraid of becoming us. My brother said that on the podcast. He said I was just afraid <laughs> to become you. I was like, oh, great. Thanks. In a way though, it's true that the scariest version of your infertility story is that you end up without any children yeah. or you end up with a, a version of, of a family that doesn't have any of your biology in it. And that yeah. weirds you out or it just, there's no way that you can even comprehend what that would look like. Yeah. You know? And there's a lot of ways that that can happen of not having biological children of your own. Right. It's not just not having children, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have children, but we have adopted children. So we don't have any biological children. Additionally, yeah. you could have uh, a child through donor conception, yeah. right? So, yeah. so either the egg or the sperm is donated, which, right. which is a unique yeah. grief to have to process that. Oh, okay. You know, my wife, it's my wife's eggs, but it's a, a donor sperm. So there's my biology is not involved, but, but you know, my wife's it. And, and that's, I mean, that's a whole different thing to grieve. I got on a full like thought spiral about donor conception. Yeah. I, we need to have another person on here. We talked, we had somebody in the beginning of our podcast. But we need to have somebody else on there of like, we should have her back. She's great. I know she is great. Um, when you have a donor conception, whether egg or sperm or whatever, right. and then someone says, Oh, they look like you. Yeah. What do you do with it's that? Like, what yeah. do you do with that? And then I just feel like my brain, like, went like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Like that. What would you do there? Like yeah. I know what to do with adoption. And right. it's very clearly that our children don't look like us. So we very don't get true. that a lot, <laughs> but <laughs> when it's donor, especially if it's a similar race, yeah, that's just interesting it's podcast for another time, a podcast for another time. I got lots of questions, but the idea is that when you're struggling to get pregnant, I think in the back of your mind, 
Well, I would say this. It's not necessarily in the back of your mind. It's in the front of your mind. However, it's ignored. It is like the elephant in the room, right? It's there. It's huge, but you're like avoiding it. You know, you're almost saying, yeah, well, we'll just keep going, keep going. But the idea that what if this doesn't work? What if we don't end up being able to have bio children? I think it's always there. I think for me, it was in the back of my mind in a dark space. Mm -hmm. And I didn't necessarily want to think about it a lot, but it was the motivation to keep me going. Mm, That makes sense. And it was something that I did think about a lot. (laughs) Like those things were like, don't think about it, don't think about it. Oh my God, what if we don't have biological children? What if we don't have a Doug and Jesse child that comes at the end of this? And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that being some, some part of your motivation because yeah. I feel like anyone should be able to have a biological child whenever they want. Absolutely. When yeah. they want yeah. and infertility just sucks at taking that away potentially, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think for me, that was a big motivation to keep going and keep pursuing more treatment was that fact of like, Oh my gosh, I want a biological children. And again, I say there's nothing wrong with that, right yeah. but, but it was also something that I didn't want to think about. And I didn't want to put on the table because I think I was afraid that you would be like, oh no, I'm good. Mm. And I would be like, what? Oh no. Yeah. Almost like confirm your fear. Yes. Like confirm my fear or like, oh no, if you are okay with this and not having biological children, then what does that mean? Yeah. You get together with someone and maybe you've both agreed that you want to have a family then the idea of what if we don't, what if we can't have a family and we don't end up being able to have biological kids, it almost becomes a intrusive thought into your head right. that you don't really want to pay attention to because if maybe the more you pay attention to it, the more you might actually find answers to that right. or the more you might actually explore that. And the more you explore that, the more it might become a reality. Right. And that just becomes this slippery mental slope that you never want to get on. And I think that last point is the most important. I think I would have manifested it into reality. Yeah. If, if you we would have about talked it. about maybe not having biological children and going a different way. And you said a family. I knew we always would have a family. I just wasn't sure if we would have biological children, but I knew that like, can I have a caveat? I don't love the term biological children. I just want to throw it out there. Yeah. Anyone can join me with that. Yeah. I don't have a better term. So that's why we're using it. I've never really thought about it, but yes, I I just don't think it, it makes it sound like a child who's not a bio child is not sometimes is, is makes them sound other, you know, Yeah. which I don't, it just sounds like a bizarre thought. Like this isn't a bio child. It's like, like, like they're not a biological human or something. Right. Right. It just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And it makes them sound other. Yeah. I just don't know a better way to explain what we're trying to say without saying bio child. You know what right. I mean? So that's why we're using that term. But if anyone has a better term, not please just geez. write into the podcast. We will, we'll use it. You yeah. know, what we yeah. mean, what we mean by that is having a child where you're not passing on your genetic material. Like it's not your sperm or it's not your egg yeah. contributing to the child. Gene child? Gene your child. Genes? I'm going to go with gene child. <laughs> gene child. It's not my gene child. <laughs> yeah. Gene child. That, I know because there's, <laughs> but, but that, but it's that yeah. idea. Like we're not, I don't like that because it makes them sound other, yeah. but, but I think the idea is in our mind, maybe it does feel other. You know, when you think about it, you're like, well, I want to have a bio child. I don't want to have, I don't want to go the whole adoption route because it, it is different. It is a totally, oh, totally different, different thing, but we don't want to want to say that it's less than it has nothing to do with yeah. the child, the child who's born, right? Whether no matter where they got their biology from, right. they are valuable and wonderful. Right. So that, that term has always messed with me. Okay. So what is that process like? Would you say Doug for someone who is, you know, grieving and processing the idea of not having biological children, lack of a better term that we're still waiting to hear. Yes. So glad we're going to record this whole podcast and probably find someone that has a better term. Yeah, for we'll that. have to re-record it, and we'll just have to re-record that <laughs> little part every time. But no, what was it like? What that's, do you feel like it's like. I think that's an important question. I think it's layered. Yeah. It's a layered thing. At some level, I think it's just a really scary thought that not a lot of people like to think about. However, it's there. Like we were saying, it's this elephant in the room. So I think there's a lot of fear involved with it. I also think for a lot of people, it's, it's the line that that is the line. Like they're not going to go past that, you know, and that's a, it, that plays a weird, you know, role in your mind. If that is the line, 
what I mean by that is maybe you're thinking, oh, we've been trying for years or something, or we're trying to like a year and we're going to do some fertility treatments, but we draw the line at, you know, our biology or whatever. Like we're not going to do any donor conception stuff yeah. and we don't want to adopt. So right. we're drawing the line there, you know? Yeah. I think it's a, that's a line for a lot of people. So that's weird. It almost represents the end of the line, if that makes sense. So what a weird place it sits in your life to think about not having bio kids because it's, it's representative of a much bigger thing, which is what it will our life look like for the rest of our time here on earth. Right. You know, that, that's like right. a really big topic. So I think fear is probably the biggest layer, you know, I think maybe the, another layer is insecurity. Is that weird to say insecurity? Maybe that's from my perspective, but an, an insecure feeling of, will I feel comfortable with the fact that it's not my biology? Maybe I'm thinking of a donor conception story yeah. where, you know, it's one partner's biological, maybe it's their sperm or their egg. And then the other person is having to come to grips with like, well, I'm, I'm happy that it gets to be your biology, but it's not mine. Right. I think there could be a level of insecurity that comes up there. So yeah. this, it plays on like maybe the most, tender, if there were tender parts about us, if there's two feelings that I feel like are vulnerable, fear and insecurity, like those are such tender feelings. I mean, of course it can make you angry or frustrated or annoyed or, or anxious, but I think deep, deep, deep down there, there's fear and insecurity, which are so vulnerable and tender. So when it comes up, it's this vulnerable, tender thing that you have to start to process almost yeah. grieve, I guess that that would be my answer Yeah, is it is a profound grief, profound. It's probably the deepest grief that I have in my life. Personally, here it comes. I can feel it. I can feel the emotions. I can feel it in my eyeballs. Um, but it's true. It's probably the most profound grief part of it is like, is not being able to have biological children. Like that just, even that simple of a sentence is like so crazy that not everyone can have that. Like if you want that, you should be able to have that. And to, it's it's a lot of different layers of grieving. It's grieving for myself. It's grieving for you, Doug. It's grieving for what those kids could possibly be and look like and do in the world. So it's just- and it's just a profound sense of grief. That's what I would say. And that's what I would say what comes up with thinking about it of like not potentially not having biological child is it's hitting that. It's for me, it hit that of such profound grief. And then like a longing of, will I always long for this person? Will I always yeah. long for this thing? Um, that's this, what I was going to ask is what are some of those top things about it that you're grieving? You know, yeah. like where, are there some highlights that pop up of like, oh man, I really thought about that a lot. Oh, I thought about what they look like a lot. Is that? Yeah. That's yeah. A big one. Of like what they look like, what their fingers would look like. What, oh, would they have our hands? Do they have, uh, <sighs> that's what I'm saying is it's, it's such a profound grief that still stays with you. It doesn't, it doesn't sit on my chest for hours at a time, any all day anymore. But like when I talk about it and when I think about it, it's hard to think about. It's sad to think about. It's sad to think of that person never being here. And I think I grieved the looks. I think I grieved um, the connection, the connection with my child. I think yeah. before our adoption journey, of course you think like, am I going to be as connected to it? whatever, right. which we could talk about that. And we have talked about a million times, but it's like that connection with someone of like, you came out of, of some of love hopefully and having them come into the world. Um, but mine was a lot about like what they were going to look like, what they would take from our personalities. Our personalities are very the same and also different. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's just fun. And that's something that even in conversation, when I hang out with people that have kids is like, Oh, they act like this or, Oh, they act like the, Oh, that's so my husband. Oh, that's so me or oh, whatever. It's like, I just didn't, didn't have that. And that's just yeah. really, that's really hard. And I, and I feel like the best way to describe it is just profound grief.
Well, the reality is, Jesse, that we did move on yes. to adoption and foster care. Mm-hmm. Not everyone moves on to, not everyone does that after they've struggled with infertility. We did. And we now have children who are adopted who are not our bio children. How did we get there? <laughs> mm. if, if someone is sitting there thinking like, yes, that is the big bad wolf that I just hate thinking about. We have fully processed it. How did we get there? What's, what, was, what were some of the things that we had to do in order to get to a place where we felt comfortable adopting and, have chil- and having children who were not our biological children? Well, I remember in the beginning for me, when we moved on from treatment, I, I didn't want to shut the door completely. I wanted to mm, keep it open. I do remember that. That I, was very frustrating to me, but I understand <laughs> that it was probably, <laughs> probably the right call. It gave me some sense of control without no, no, like, it, it was absolutely the right call. And I think I would actually advocate for people to do that. But in the moment it was very frustrating. You should advocate for people to act like me, not act like Doug. <laughs> I was like, oh, didn't work one time. Slam the door so hard shut and seal it with bricks. Yes. And never look at it again. Um, <laughs> that was my, that, 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 was, that was my pain. Yeah. Speaking. That doesn't sneak up on you like years later when you're like, oh, wait, did I process that? Um, so I always wanted to keep it cracked. Um, and then slowly over time, honestly, the door s- closed all the way. Yeah. It just did. And that happened through that profound grief that I was talking about, making peace with that profound grief, shaking hands, if you will, with that profound grief, looking at it, talking about it, grieving it, feeling it from like my bones, honoring it. That, I think that's a, that's a way people, a lot of people can, can grieve and move on with it is like they, they honor those children that could have been or whatever. Like every bereaved mother's day, I always take time to think about our biological children and sorry that that's coming up actually. Um, and I just think I had to make peace that this was our story and this is what happened to us. And it was unfair. Mm -hmm. It was unfair. Yeah. But also accepting the unfairness and accepting the peace. Yeah. Almost like accepting the reality of your situation. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but then also making not looking at grief as such a scary thing. Yeah. Like, cause I think some people think like they don't think past what would their lives be like without bio children. It's like, I'm just going to cease to exist. Right. I'll also not have a car a home <laughs> or whatever. Like I'll just, nothing will, I'll have nothing. Yeah. You know? And I think I really thought that of like, if I don't have that, then I'll have nothing. Yeah. I mean, who you probably can't even think of your life in a different way. Cause yeah. you spend so much time thinking right. about your life in one way it's really hard to switch that imagination, that vision, that future that you had really drawn up to be something else. It's easier just to go, I will cease to exist because I only know that future. Right. Right. And, and looking at grief is not so scary. Like even looking at the grief, you will move on from the grief. Like you will breathe and you will move on from that grief and looking at it. Yeah. And then, so I feel like I had to, I went to therapy. That was number one and looked at all that and, and worked on some profound grieving. Um, but then also I fell in love with adoption. Mm. I really did. Yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember sitting with my girlfriends. We were at some amazing pool somewhere like drinking martinis and hanging out <laughs> and it was so fun. And my girlfriend said, if I handed you $20,000, would you adopt again or would you do IVF again? And I said, whoa, okay. And I took a minute. You're like, were you really offering that? Yeah, or I what's know. up? Like, what's going is, on here? <laughs> is this cash check or bank transfer? What is this? Um, but I loved that question. And all of my girlfriends, of course, looked right at me like, what are you going to say? And I said, I would adopt. Yeah. And I, you would have thought I would have said that like, I'm going to take off all my bathing suit right now and just run around this pool. Like (laughs) they all were like, wow, really? And it's like, yes. And I think that showed though that I had made peace with my reality and I had fallen in love with the idea of adoption and wanting to adopt more kids and understanding that world. I'm not saying that you have to fall in love with adoption or whatever, but it could be that the next thing that you do, donor conception, adoption, moving on childless, not by choice, could be something that you could fall in love with. Yeah, I gosh, I just could not agree more. Someone, I just hopefully you fall in love with whatever's next. Yeah, I really did. And someone just recently who moved on um, to become childless by choice, I follow her on Instagram and she said something so profound. She said, I am living my rainbow life right now. 
Mm. Like I'm living it. Like I'm making the best of it. I'm doing things that I'm obsessed with and I love. And it doesn't have to involve children, sadly, but yeah. it's like she's living her rainbow life. And I was like, you're living your rainbow life. That's so amazing. Yeah. Like after yeah. the loss or yeah. whatever, it's like, uh, yeah. So I think that also really helped in me having peace with not having biological children. And I think peace is a very important word. I'm not over it. Or maybe I should say over it. That's a good point. It's like, it doesn't not affect me. It doesn't like still make me sad, obviously to think about it, but I've made peace with it. I've made peace that Jesse Brown cannot have biological children. That's what I would say. That still makes me sad. I still look back and feel like, oh man, that would have been really great to have, you know, a kid that looks like you, Doug. Like I still see pictures (laughs) of baby pictures of (laughs) you were, you were a really cute child. I'm not going to lie. Don't worry. I grew out of it. I grew out of yeah. it. Don't worry. Yeah. That ship has sailed, but uh, <laughs> it's not true. But like, and your mom was like a really like snappy dresser of you and your sister when you were younger. And so like, snappy dresser. we were just born in the eighties. That yeah, that's what yeah. it really was. I still remember these, like this outfit, like these white blue shoes that you had and these blue shorts. Your mom's going to like call me after she listens to this podcast and be like, I know that outfit. So it's like, but I, I still look at pictures of you now as a younger child and I get sad. So it's not that it doesn't make me sad still. It's that I've made peace with that part. It can make me cry because I really feel like I have. Shows a lot of growth, but the only way I had to do it was look at it. I had to look at it. I had to accept that part of my reality that I was not going to be able to have biological children. And I think your tears represent exactly what this whole process is like is yes, you've made peace with it, but there's still so much sadness. There's so much grief that goes with it. I don't think it's ever getting to a place where you're like, yeah, it doesn't even affect me at all, but it's, I have made peace with who I am and what my reality is. And I'm able to sit in it and look at it. Will it maybe in a way always make you sad? Yeah. Yeah. It will always make me sad. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a level of peace with yeah. who we are and who we've become. I view it of like a, like at the end of your life, like a asterisk of grieving. It's like, that'll always be like an asterisk. It will yeah. always be there. It yeah. will always be like a star or something of like, and you can have biological children. It's like, it will always be there. But yeah, it, never, I, it never goes away. Yeah. I feel like it's like, I used to run from it and now I look at it. Yeah. Now you embrace it. And I feel like I am, as I was looking at it, it was super painful and there were some really dark times and dark days but now I feel like I can look at it and just be like at peace with it, even though it still makes me sad. It reminds me of Harry Potter. Thank God. Harry Potter. We need to talk about Harry Potter more on this podcast. <laughs> the new Harry Potter. I mean, no, nope, nope. Jesse, don't go there. Don't go there with the new Harry um, Potter on HBO. It's <sighs> like that story uh, about the Deathly Hollows. Yeah. Which the Deathly Hollows got to love. Oh, love it. Shout out Deathly Hollows. <laughs> What does that mean? Are they like Deathly Hollows people or something? I don't know. I do see stickers on cars sometimes. there is some motorcycle gang. We have a pillow in our house that's a Deathly Hollows There you go, right? Maybe we're the Deathly Hollows gang. Oh, hey. But that that picture of how, you know, um, two people try to like defy death, right? And they end up, you know, death comes for them, but the last one almost embraces death like an old friend. Yeah. In a way, I think that's a, a beautiful allegory picture of the way that we almost embrace our own grief, right? It's, yeah. It does. It's never going to go away. It's always going to be there. Yeah. What has happened to us throughout our lives will have always happened to us. We can't go back and erase history in any way, Yeah. but we can embrace history. We can embrace what we've gone through. And I think there's something that changes in us when we do that and that embrace. And the only way I know how to get there is through grief. I think that that's the only way to get there is through grief. Yeah. What was it like for you? For me, I think I had to process two things. I had really thought about two things. Um, The first is this very logistical, I'm not passing on my lineage kind of thing. I feel like that's a very man, man thing. Some man, men. It's a some man thing. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Some man, some man. (laughs) Well, I don't want to say every man. And some women could feel that way too. I think everyone in a way feels that. Yeah. I don't even want to, I don't know who feels it, but I felt it. People. Some people feel that way. (laughs) All Um, human beings. Let's just say that. (laughs) But you're right. That does seem to come up with men a lot. Yeah. Um, 
passing on my lineage, whatever that I was means. Say, what does that mean? I literally <laughs> was just about to ask that. What does that mean? So I have two ways to, to address that first thing that I was processing. The first one is a logistical one. And the second one's an emotional one. Hopefully you're following with me. Okay. But the first one uh, being the logistical one, I was all in my head about, well, I want, I can't believe I'm not passing on my passing on my blood. Um, you know, like, this bloodline has existed for so long and then it's, you know, come to me. <laughs> Here's what happened to me logistically is I did one of those 23 and me things recently to find out like my lineage or your DNA. Right. And I just did a little bit of research into how DNA works and how all of that works. We are all some nasty type of muddled pool well, our, our DNA got like put in a blender and it just spits out random people. That's my new theory is yes, we pick up genetics from our parents a hundred percent. Yes, they picked up genetics from their parents. But to say that if I don't pass on my genetic material, that is the end of some completely clean line that I can trace all the way back to the beginning. I just don't know how, I don't know how real that is on a logistical standpoint, how much of like this historic line am I passing on? I don't know. It's not like I was some King of Uruguay or something like that. (laughs) Or it's not like I can go like, Oh, well my 16 grandfathers ago, we were part of some noble line that came out of, you know, Turkey and then became German Kings. And I'm, and if I don't have a child, then my heritage will no. What? It was like, I I see how this is logistical. Scottish immigrants came over and married some farmers in Massachusetts. And then a (laughs) few of them like felt like coming to California was, it was warm. And they married some other Greek person who was married to an Italian. It's like, I don't know from a logistical standpoint, I just thought, what am I trying to salvage? You know, my green eyes or something like that. Right. My, my beard. Chances are if I have a boy, they might have a beard. And even then it's, I I don't know. I logistically, I see how this is logistic, logistic, right. But, but I mean, for me, it it had to start with some type of logistics that I wasn't overwhelmingly inspired to think, Oh, I have to pass my, my genes on. Right. Well, I think you did, but then you looked at it and went, what does that mean? It was, it was there in the beginning. Like, I can't believe I'm not going to pass on like my genetics. And then I saw, wait, what is that? What do I mean by pass on my genetics? Right. And the more I investigated, the more it got muddier and muddier and muddier and muddier yeah. to a point where I'm like, oh, this isn't, this is not as um, inspiring anymore to pass on my genes. Right. You know? Right. Right. That makes sense. The second part of that though, isn't an emotional part. And I think for most of us, if we do investigate a little bit, what we're saying is much more of an emotional thing than it is a logistical thing. I don't think I thought any logistics besides maybe like, nobody's like, you know what I freaking want to pass on my eyebrow (laughs) situation. Like whatever. I I do have a great eyebrow. Those aren't, but they're, those aren't even your real eyebrows. They're manicured, (laughs) which is great. They look great by the way. Thank you. But I don't think anyone is saying, I know what you mean. Oh my gosh. If this kid doesn't get my nose, I'm going to freaking lose my mind. <laughs> I mean, maybe you are a no and no judgment if you are, if you are doing that. But, uh, but I think in a lot of ways, it's an emotional thing. It's I like, I want to pass on this like story of from my father to his father, to his father, to his father, all yeah. the way back. You know, yeah. how cool is that? Right. And I want to pass that on. There's so much emotion tied into that, you yeah. know? I think that that's where you get into the situation of, I need to grieve my reality and the story. And I think it goes into everything that you're saying. The yeah. only way to process that story is to grieve, yeah. is to spend time sitting with the sadness of it. Because if you came up with that story as a young person and that story is not coming to fruition, you got it. Like that story is dying in a way. And that death needs to be grieved. The death of that story needs to be grieved. Right. Would you say that you need to start? I'm, I'm asking this cause I like, I'm trying to think of my answer too. When would you 
start that process. Cause I feel like a lot of people in our groups are like not doing anything right now. And they're thinking about not having biological kids, mm-hmm. but they might, but maybe they're still trying month to month, but they're not doing anything. Like yeah. when do you start the like, like now is when I'm going to start this process or. Yeah. Well, this is where I fall back on my many years in history of all of my philosophical years and training right. is I think it needs to happen now and as soon as possible, but it's part of a larger conversation in that the conversation being who am I, what am I and what am I becoming? Because we all, if we are being honest, most of us have a juvenile, and I don't mean that to be insulting, a younger story that we created, you know? Half of it has to do with whatever cartoons we watched when we were a kid and whatever like magazines we were into when we were like a teenager. I watched Yogi Bear. What does that (laughs) say about me? I was the oldest of two younger siblings, so I watched all kid cartoons. I mean, it says a lot about you, Jesse. Yeah, I know. Yogi Bear. No, but I I really do think that whatever family we grew up in, whatever high school we went to, we come up with this picture of what our life should be like that is so influenced by our surroundings as a young person. For me, it's Southern California, Americana, and I grew up in a Christian church. So that really created whatever this vision I had for the future. As an adult, I think it is a good idea to refresh our reality. And I think that is a philosophical, emotional process where you have to say, well, who am I? And who, what do I think I ought to do in the world? What do I think is good in the world? And, and who am I becoming? And am I becoming someone that I, that I honor or that I think is accomplishing what I think ought to be accomplished in the world? And am I living the way I should be living? That's a freaking huge topic, but I think it's tied into that. I think children, having children, having biological children is part of that whole topic. And maybe we came up with a vision and a version of ourselves when we were younger that needs to be refreshed now. I don't think you have to wait until you can like fact check if you get that vision or not. I think as an adult, like 20, I don't know, 20 years old and you have the brain power to start to examine yourself, I think you should start examining yourself because you're going to need to anyway, which perfectly leads me to the second thing that I had to process. And that is that my life can look very different than what I thought it would. That's the second thing I had to process. The first thing was, am I passing my lineage on to anyone? Like, am I passing my genes on? Like, I need to think about that. And as I thought about that, it naturally led to what is my life going to look like? That was just such a natural transition for us. We obviously decided adoption and foster care was the direction that we wanted to go. And that really became so much of, of our life. Right. And we, like you said, fell in love with adoption Mm -hmm. going back. If I can even to speak about the idea of lineage and things like that, I fell in love with the idea that adoption gets to be part of the story. You know, it's not true for everyone. Yeah. Um, but for us, when I thought about, oh, I'm grieving this story that my father and his father and his father and his father will guess what gets to now be part of that story is I have a son and he's my son through adoption. And that gets to be part of the story. When, it, when he tells the story, it's my father adopted me and then his father and his, and there's even, there's other adoptions in my family history. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm now, I'm obsessed with that story, you know? And then, and then it helped me process the emotional grief because I love that story. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So to do that, I had to, to grieve what I was losing and grieve almost the death of that original story. But living into this new story was the, was the second thing that I had to process. And that was really impactful for me to figure out who am I and what is this life that I'm going to end up living And I don't know how to encourage anyone to dive into that beyond just saying it was really impactful for me. So I just think everyone should. I think everyone, it's an opportunity to say, who am I and can my life look different? And can it look very different than what I thought it was going to look like? Do do those two things make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. But I I just wanted to clarify, like you just loved the new story that you can pass down 
not maybe your blood, but your lineage and your thoughts. And you can still make a mark and still have influence and all those things. You just on an adopted child. Yeah. And I like that you said like, I died to the old story. It was a story I never thought about. Right, right. But you like died to the old, not died to the old story, grieved the old story and fell in love with the new story. Yeah. When it comes to all these things, thinking about this elephant in the room, I guess maybe that's one thing that we would hope for everyone is that they can take a little look at the elephant. You know, don't take a look at the whole elephant. Maybe look at the elephant's feet. Yes. But, but, but like, Starting to, like I said, when I was, when I was explaining those two things, I think the sooner, the better, the sooner you can start to go, who am I? What kind of life am I living? And what, what am I going to end up being like? Yeah. Like all that kind of, like I say sooner rather than later, because you're changing so much throughout infertility. Right. It's a great opportunity to start thinking about your life. I say start now, but I also want to be sensitive that this is overwhelming. What do you think? When do you think you should start processing something like this? Yeah. I'm thinking of some people in our groups that are just, you know, they're not doing treatment. They aren't, they're just sitting in it. They're just sitting in it. Nothing's really happening, but they don't want to say they want to grieve the biological child thing. Cause then what if it just works out naturally? You know what I mean? All those things. And I think, I think that if you grieve it and if you look at it, that is your reality in that moment. In that moment, your reality is you're not having biological children right now. Right. And right. you've been working really hard to do so. So grieve that. Because I think sometimes people think that grieving is shutting a door. I think they think like, I grieved it. Grieved it. Past tense. Done. It's over. The door is shut. Like if you get pregnant in two years randomly, naturally, that will be your new reality. That will be the new story. You know, I don't think that if you grieve it and look at it, it means that it has to be done. Or it has to be that it's like, oh, I grieved it. I looked at it. I made peace with it. And then it, if it's never going to happen. So the only way I can make peace with it is if it's over and the chapter's over. And it's like, I think there's like a dance there. I think for me, it became over and I fell in love with adoption and I closed it, closed the chapter. But for some people that are just kind of in the waiting and kind of in like the, don't know where to start with the grieving of the biological, I would just say, I would agree with you, Doug, just start to grieve it. And if something happens, something happens. Like you will deal, that will be your new reality. But I think, I don't know. It is the, your reality now. Your reality now is you're not having biological children. Don't know what the future is going to be, but that doesn't mean that if you grieve it and look at it and feel that pain, that that means that it's over or that it's past tense. The grieving is past tense. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. It's the idea that a lot of times I think we're afraid of emotional pain. So we put no. off, we put off grieving something until we can have reliable evidence that we need to grieve that. thing. Yes. So we're like, I'll put off grieving the fact that I can't have biological children until I know for certain that I can't have biological children. Exactly. I just don't think that's a very good well, historically in my, our lives, that has not been a very successful thing. Right. I think grieve reality, grieve reality. And the reality is right now you're struggling to have children. Right. So just grieve that and, and don't put this thing off to the side. It's like, oh, that big bad thing over there. Right. If it happens, hopefully you have been processing it bit by bit all along the way. Yeah. So that it's something that's manageable and doesn't just shut you down for years and decades to come. I totally agree with you that some some of us, me included, you know, we wait till the thing happens or we wait till we have to, we get almost pushed into a corner where it's like, now you have to grieve it. Now you got to do it. It's like, it can be just something that you're always grieving. And if you grieve it and look at it, it doesn't mean that that's the reality of what's going to happen. The reality might change. It might be that it does work out or whatever, but you are grieving. Grieving is a practice. It's a practice of something that you have in your life that you bring into your life. Um, and I just feel like that's a really important to be just grieve it. Are you, have you been struggling for five years? Maybe haven't done a lot of treatment and you don't want to close the chapter, but don't know. It's like, grieve it, grieve that you don't have biological children right now. Like that you feel like you're missing out on all these opportunities or Easter's mine was always holidays, like Christmases and all that kind of stuff. It's like, that's okay to grieve that right now. But I really think by looking at it will hopefully help you with knowing where you're at in your capacity. 
I feel like this was such a, when we were, man, Doug and I were going back and forth of like, what should we do for National Infertility Awareness Week? It's like, I feel like this is an important thing to talk about that is a little bit taboo, I would say, or a little bit hard to look at and talk about. Yeah. And so I feel like it's kind of perfect and poignant to be like, let's talk about the deepest elephant in the room. Yeah. I think that's our goal. Becoming with, Doug and Jesse. <laughs> with this National Infertility Awareness Week is talking about some of the taboo things that just... I, I don't want to say bum people out, but, but are the sad realities for I would a lot say of people. The biggest fear, the biggest fears. That's a better way to yeah, say it. It's I think a lot of time fear. people are like, let's advocate for infertility awareness because people are going through all this work to get their miracle babies. And, and then I think the reality is so many of them aren't though. There's a lot of big fears that go along yeah. with that. And yeah. this probably, if we had to put our finger on it is the Prob- biggest fear. I agree. And keep in mind, if you don't ever have biological children, you will be like us. Bring it on down to Omniville. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Infertility Feelings Podcast, a show produced by the nonprofit Uniquely Knitted. This is your place to process, cry, and laugh about infertility. We are so grateful for all of our amazing donors that we have who support our work. If you would like to learn more about how we serve the community and support the work of Uniquely Knitted, we encourage you to check out our website at uniquelyknitted.org. If you enjoy this podcast and would like more people to hear it, please give us a rating and a comment in Apple Podcasts. This is just the best way for more people to hear these conversations. If you need to talk to someone about your feelings and you are hurting, please reach out to us. We are here to help you. If you would like to learn more about our unique process groups and talk to Doug and I, please follow the link in our show notes. See you guys next week.